0: Well, uh, the card that you uh, have in your hand is uh, what we call our 111 uh, kind of program. And uh, one of the things that we've done here at the JAR is we've had a real desire to want to love on people who are maybe disconnected from God or the church. And so some of you may have already filled this out, but basically what this is is we picked one person who is uh, disconnected from Uh, God or the church are going through a hard time and we just commit to praying for that person for one minute each day at one o'clock you can set your uh, uh, Phone alarm or whatever and just kind of do that and so uh, If you haven't done that if you could fill that out, that'll be great Uh, You can put uh, your first and last name and then just their first name Uh, And uh, what we'll do is we'll get this laminated for you. The church has a new laminator and uh it's really cool. I have no idea how to use it. But anyway, uh, it's really good. And so we'll laminate. We'll send it to you. We'll send some uh, encouragement uh, to you uh, throughout the year as you kind of have a chance uh, to do that. Um, and so if you could do that, when the offering bag goes by, you can just uh, put that in there. I think John, since he was wearing a Pacer shirt, he must be praying for all the Pacers because uh, they're in need of some serious help. Um, Also, uh, today I want to kind of give you kind of a State of the Union address, okay? Um, State of the Church. Uh, I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. I'm just a flubbed up, messed up, screwed up guy who happens to be your pastor. So uh, you're in luck. But uh, at the beginning of the year, we selected a couple of goals, and I just wanted to kind of give you an update of kind of where we're at with this. Uh, The goals will come up here. Uh, the first goal is kind of our evangelism goal, which deals with this one one card. And there were some things within the midst of that uh, that we wanted to do. Um, and so uh, one of the things uh, was we wanted to increase um, the attendance here at the JAR um, by 20% throughout this year. Another thing that we wanted to do was to have 25 people baptized. And then the last thing is we wanted to provide a couple opportunities of uh, training people how to share their faith. And so we have some results. And uh, first of all, uh, we're about 13% uh, increased in our attendance um, from where our goal was uh, from last year. And you might say, well, oh, man, I'm just a number. No, you're not. The reason we count people is because people count. And the reason that you're here is because you matter to God. And because you matter to God, you matter to us, and you're very important, and so that's one of the things. Last week, we celebrated four people who got baptized, who uh, gave their lives to Christ and um, were baptized in our pool. And uh, Actually, it's the wise pool, but we call it ours. And, um, and uh, so that was a really exciting time. And uh, we, another baptism will be coming up on Easter Sunday. We've never done this before, but on Easter Sunday... Uh, If uh, you've been thinking about baptism, we'll be doing it on that Sunday, and so uh, we encourage you uh, to sign up for that. And then finally, you want to put this date on your calendar, April 16th. April 16th uh, is going to be our first time in which we talk about uh, walk across the room. We really believe that sharing one's faith is as simple as walking across a room or a parking lot. Or something else and so on the 16th I'm going to be teaching uh, on this and so put that down right now just say hey on the 16th uh, I'm in and uh, we're going to meet about nine o'clock and there'll be more details that uh, will be coming up our second goal was our team building goal we wanted to build better teams and so we've seen a lot of people who have committed to serving uh, in different ways Um, and a couple of weeks ago we had a spiritual gifts inventory in which we wanted to know that that everybody is gifted. Every single person is gifted by God, and God desires that you use your gifts. And so we'll continue uh, to be working uh, at that. So take your little 111 card, and uh, I'll invite the greeters to come up. And uh, if you could put your uh, person's name and uh, your name on there, we'll get it laminated. We'll send it back to you. And you can do that. Now, we are going to collect an offering uh, right now. But I want you to know that if you're here for the first time or uh, you're just checking out this whole God thing, we're not interested in your money. Keep your money in your pocket, your uh, purse in your, uh, your uh, whatever that is, wallet in your pocket. If you're new, don't give us your money or we will get you, okay? If you're not new, give us all your... No, I'm just joking. Um, But uh, this really is for people who have made this their church home and are committed to partnering with the JAR. And so uh, if you uh, are new, if you can just put your Connect card in, uh, we'll uh, be great with that. And then the 111 card, and um, let's pray for this offering. Let's pray. Well, God, thank you so much for all that you give to us, both seen and unseen. And we're so grateful, God, God, that uh, you have used this church in such a great way to impact people's lives. And that's really what we want to be about. But I pray today, God, kind of a bold prayer, that uh, the finances that are taken today, God, would you multiply that uh, just in impact, not necessarily in the number uh, of dollars that are put in, but the number of impact that we could have on our community. And, God, would lives be changed for eternity because uh, of this. And so, God, I also pray for these one-one-one one cards. Friends and family, people who we love, that, God, uh, their lives may be changed this year and that they would come to know you in a deeper way. So, God, now we ask that you would come by the power of your Holy Spirit and that you would teach us. For your honor and for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, I want to share with you uh, one of the most powerful stories of family life that I know of in the Bible. And so let's dive right in and let me introduce to you uh, this family. It'll come on the board, too, but uh, this way you guys can uh, see it on the screen now these two here at the top are the parents. And so we want you to meet the parents. Any of you remember Meet the Parents? It wasn't quite like the Burns family, but, okay, you're going to meet the parents. And uh, this guy uh, was named Elimelech, and he married his wife, Naomi. And they had two sons Uh, Malon and Killian. And uh, let's kind of figure out the parents first. Now, how are you going to remember this name when you leave here today? It's pronounced Elimelech. And I was thinking about it. I think this guy actually had a song that um, was named after him. It went like this. Ali Alimelech Alimelech, 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 in the jungle. All right, okay. So that will help you. Now, I'm not sure about that, okay? I'm just thinking that that might be what it is. And then there's Alimelech, and then there's his wife, Naomi. And like I said, they had two kids, Malon and Killian. I looked in the uh, Jar Kids register And we have no kids. Name that. And I would not encourage that. Can you imagine your name? Killian. Killian. That will help teachers remember you real quick. Um, And I'll get to these two here in just a second. So here's this family right here of four people. And they have something that just destroys their life. All four of them are living in a town called Bethlehem. Uh, who else lived later on in Bethlehem? Anybody know? Jesus, yeah. guy by the name of Jesus. So uh, they're in Bethlehem, and a horrible famine hits their hometown. Things go bad. And Elimelech doesn't know what to do. He knows that if he stays in Bethlehem, that his family is going to starve to death. And he hates the thought of leaving his country and having to go to another country that he doesn't know, but it's the only thing that he knows to do. It's economic survival. So he packs up his wife and his two kids, and he heads off to a place called Moab. Now, Moab is kind of like Las Vegas without all the glitz and glitter. It's just nothing but nasty kind of uh, deserty, kind of no good anything, but they have food. And so he goes to this place called Moab, but they don't worship one god. They worship multiple gods, and each one of those gods are all about sexual perversion. And the government has become corrupt, and things are not very friendly in Moab. It's a terrible land. He didn't want to go there, but he didn't have any other choice because he wanted to provide for his family. Now let me ask you this. In our world today, what is it that causes people to cross borders to go into another country? We've been seeing it on the screen, haven't we? It started with Tunisia, Egypt, Libya, the whole Middle East now, People are leaving everything that they know. Why? Because they're desperate. They're desperate to get away from war. They don't want to starve to death. They want to get their family away from the pain and all the calamity. Now, Elimelech did not want to leave, but he had no choice. So they move to Moab, and uh, when they get there, uh, all of a sudden, the two boys are like, hey, it's time for us to find a little woman and uh, to settle down a little bit. And so they move, and for a 10-year period, the two of these guys marry two women. One is named Ruth, and the other is named Orpah. Now, a little side note here. Oprah... Uh, OK, her name was supposed to be OrPA, but when they got to the birth certificate, they spelled it wrong. True story. So I went ahead and I called uh, down to uh, Oprah Winfrey and I said, "Hey, we're going to give you a little airtime today." And so she decided that she's going to give brand new keys to all of you to a new car. <laughs> it's underneath, Uh, Your seat right now, it's taped there. Some of you are tempted, aren't you? (laughs) Never know. Never know. Okay. Now, another thing that happens in this 10-year period is just horrible. Elimelech dies. And Naomi is mourning and grieving just like many of our families do when that happens. But to make matters worse, then both of her sons die as well. And the only thing that is left now are these three grieving women who are grieving over the death of their three men. And in the midst of their grief, Naomi learns something. She learns that the famine that was back in Bethlehem has ended. And that she can go back and be a part of her homeland and of her relatives. And so she talks to both of her two daughter-in-laws and she says, Hey, I've decided I'm going back to Bethlehem to be with my relatives, to go back to my land. If you guys want to come, feel free to come. If you don't, I understand you're from Moab, your family and friends are here, so that's what we're going to do. I totally understand. And so Orpah says hey, I've got this great idea of starting a television show, uh, and so I'm going to stay here, I'm not going to go back. But uh, Ruth thinks about it, and she thinks about it a little bit more, and finally she goes, you know what, I'm ready uh, to do this. I'm ready for a change. And uh, she expresses this so beautifully uh, in this passage of Scripture. Let's look at it. It says... She says this to her mother-in-law. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. She's ready for change. She's kind of like, this has been so horrible being in my country. Even though I know people here, we worship all these different gods and I feel so distant from the one true God that may be there. And it seems like there's no hope here because my husband's died and now I don't even know what to do. And so maybe if I go there, just maybe, there would be some change. So the two of them take off and their faith journey begins. Well, they finally arrive back into Bethlehem and their family and friends come to Naomi and this is what they say. Can this be Naomi? Translated, you look terrible. Girl, you look bad. Like, what is going on? There's all this sagging and it just looks bad. You need a nip and a tuck and you need some Botox injections. I mean, this is just not good at all. And Naomi's like, you don't know the half of it. And she said, I actually considered changing my name. I lost my husband, my two boys. It's been so horrible that I've actually thought about changing my name from Naomi to Mara. Anybody know what Mara means? Bitter. She's a bitter woman. And she goes to tell her relatives, this has been the most bitter time in my life. I lost my husband, I lost my sons, and we are in this foreign land... And this is the most bitter time in my life. Now, I just want to uh, stop here for a second and say this. Folks, every single family goes through seasons, just like weather seasons. And I think there are two seasons that every family goes through. The first season is a season of blessing. In these seasons of of blessing, births are happening and marriages are happening and graduations are happening and doors are opening up everywhere that you see and things are going so well and you're getting promotions at work and uh, your kids are getting accepted to, to great schools and they're getting good grades and everything around you that is happening is good. This is like a very uplifted, blessed time. But there is another season that families go through. And this is the season of bitterness. And this is where it's like no door opens. Not a single door ever opens. And it seems like in your family, there's only death and people are getting divorced and people are getting upset and there's fights and chaos and it's just horrible. Calamity is just all around. And when you're in a bitter season, you're like, when is this season going to end? I hate this season. I just want this to be done. I can't take it anymore. Folks, every single family in this place represented today goes through both of those seasons. And I just want to say that if you're in a blessed season right now, you should just relish in it, soak it up, experience it, love it, enjoy it. Because the reality is, folks, you will not stay there very long. Before long, a season of bitterness will hit and you will have to be prepared for whatever that is. And Naomi, she is experiencing a very difficult time in her life, a bitter season. Now back to the story. So uh, Ruth and Naomi, they decide that uh, when they get back to Bethlehem, they're in trouble because they have no food, they have no money, they have no husbands now to help them, they have no men to kind of farm the land. And so Ruth, the youngest one, she goes out uh, into the fields And she does something agriculturally at this time that was called gleaning, gleaning. And God actually gave a law to all of the farmers regarding gleaning, and this is what it says. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave that for the poor. So God's kind of like, don't pick up every single little bit of grain or barley or wheat. Leave some of it on the edges so that the poor can be taken care of. Now why? Because God knew that there would be times in which people would come on hard times. And they would not be able to feed themselves. And they would have to kind of glean a little bit after some land and they would have to glean off the land or they would starve to death if someone didn't provide the edges they wouldn't be able to survive so ruth is in uh this field and she's looking for farmers and their workers and what she's following along and whatever kind of falls off the edge that they're harvesting she kind of picks up any of the scraps uh that are there And she's just kind of gleaning the harvest. You know, earlier this year, we shared the JAR 2.0, kind of a dream that we have as a church. And if you want to check that out, you can go to our website, uh, thejar.org, and there's a little icon there that says uh, the dream, and you can click on it and look at it. But one part of that uh, deals with this whole concept that we're talking about. And uh, here's this part. It says... We want to dream of a healing center that provides free medical care, counseling, job coaching, and a food pantry kind of toiletry supply distribution to help God in holistic healing. Now, folks, I have no idea how long it'll be before we have our own church building or before how long we'll have a healing center that's connected to it. I just believe that God in his time... We'll do this before uh, my days here are gone. But I was thinking about it this week. We don't have to wait till we have a building. We don't have to wait until the dream is totally fulfilled before we started gleaning some food and some items for the poor in our community. Now, John talked about next Sunday we're going to have bag hunger and we'll give it to the Salvation Army. But I'm talking about some people may be in this place right now that God might be calling you right now to say, you know what, I want you to be the point gleaner. And the point gleaner might do things like this. They might call all the restaurants in town or supermarkets or stores, and they would just kind of build a relationship with them. And they'd say something like, we have a dream at the jar in which we want to care for the poor of our community. And if you have any food that you're just going to throw out, um, we'll find somebody to come and pick it up, and uh, we're going to do whatever we can. Or if you, you know, place a whole bunch of orders for stuff, and you need a tax write-off to get rid of some things, then uh, we'll find somebody to come get it. Or if you have that use-by-date uh, thing that's coming up, and uh, you don't want to have it all go in the dumpster, We'll take whatever it is and we'll provide it for families. So I don't know. I love the poor, but I'm not being called right now to do that. But I just was praying about it this week that maybe somebody here is like, you know what, I'm going to take that part of the dream and I'm going to go forward to see what God would do with us being a gleaning church even before we ever get to a healing center. That healing already happens before we get there. I thought it was kind of cool. We'll, We'll see what happens. Well, Ruth now, she goes into this field, and she's gleaning some of the stuff. And uh, she happens to bump into a guy by the name of Boaz. Isn't that better than Elimelech? I mean, you're going to name your kid Elimelech or Boaz. I mean, it just has some power to it, doesn't it? So she meets this guy named Boaz. Now, he is an older guy, and he is a very wealthy farmer. But we also find out that he is a distant relative to Naomi. And it's really interesting. And, uh, you know, this Elimelech guy uh, is is connected uh, more than just the song. Because all of a sudden this Boaz guy is connected to both of them. And so, uh, folks, right here in the story, all of a sudden what we see is an unboxed guy. You can't keep God in a box. He'll get outside of it. And it seems like for these two women that their world is ending. But all of a sudden now the story kind of twists and the God uh, who is not boxed comes out of the box and these women's lives are changed. And I just want you to know this uh, this morning that God is always, always working behind the scenes in families. He's always working behind the scenes in your family. Sometimes you may not think of it. In fact, you may look at your family and you'll be like, oh, what a bunch of deadbeats. I mean, seriously, do I always have to bring everything to the family gatherings? I mean, No one ever is changing their lives. It's the same, and how horrible their life is. And I'm just about ready to give up. But wait, folks, wait, because God is always working behind the scenes of people who are connected to Him and their families. He's planting seeds. He's tugging. He's pulling. He's whispering. I love what the Bible says. It says this. He who watches over you never slumbers nor sleeps. 24/7 every day of the year, God is behind the scenes. He's working, he's planting. Romans 8:28 says, "We know that God is always at work for the good of everyone who loves him." They are the ones that God has chosen. For his purpose. God is always working to make things right in people's families who are connected towards him. Always making things happen. To love them. To be able to follow him. If you love and follow, he works behind the scenes in ways that you never even imagine. And folks, this has to be the fundamental truth of anyone who claims to be a Christ follower that I mean I will not give up when I go through bitter seasons. No matter how many heartaches come, I will not give up. Because I know that in time, God works everything together for the good, for those who love Him. Even when you can't see it on the surface, God is working in the midst. In fact, just to kind of bring this point home a little bit more, I thought uh, we would uh, kind of repeat a phrase. Uh, And so if you would, I'd like you to uh, repeat after me uh, these phrases here. God is working working behind the scenes scenes in my life life and and in my family. He never slumbers or sleeps. He is working all things together for the good. good. As I I trust and follow him. But the question is, do you believe it? And we'll talk about that a little bit more. So Boaz, poor Boaz, let's put his name up here. I didn't spell Bozo either, okay? So it's Boaz. Some of you are like, "Who's Bozo?" I know. If you're under, like, if you're in your 20s, Bozo was a clown. Chuck Mock was a clown. He's teaching. No, I'm joking. Okay. Celebrate recovery this week, seven o'clock. Um, so this Boaz, he's a distant relative. He notices Ruth in the field, and the question really becomes, why does Boaz? Notice Ruth. I mean, maybe he was out looking, he's like, man, look at that hottie, you know? Maybe he was looking at her and said, wow, she's got a great work ethic, you know? I don't know why he notices her, but he notices her. But there's something that's very different about these two people. That's one thing that we know. He's rich, she's poor. He's a Jew. She is a Moabite. He is very, very educated. She's less educated. He is an old guy, and she is young. But one day, he comes to her, and he says, Ruth, only glean in my field. And she's like, really? And he's like, yep. You just go ahead, and you just glean what you want in my field. I'll always make sure that you're taking care of whatever you need. And uh, I'll make sure that you're cared for and you're protected. To which uh, Ruth replies like any typical woman. What are you doing? Are you trying to hit on me? You know, what is going on here? What are you up to? And Boaz kind of surprises her. Probably takes her breath away, quite honestly. And he says these words, he says, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and your mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. Caring for Naomi all this time. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel. Under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, anything that he could have said, how much more beautiful are those words? Boaz is just kind of saying, hey, I've noticed you. And the crazy thing is, what I notice most of all is that you are a class act. He says, loyalty, it just runs away. But you've been a very loyal person. A lot of people aren't loyal to anybody or anything, but you have always been loyal to your mother-in-law. And let me just say this as a side note. Folks, healthy families demand loyalty. Healthy families demand Demand loyalty. It's so easy for us to get caught up in our friends. It's so easy for us to get caught up in our work and one more job promotion and what that means. It's so easy to get caught up in stuff and stuff and more stuff and the glitz and the glamour. And what happens is, all of a sudden we start distancing ourselves away from loyalty every single time that we get so overwhelmed and in trenched into those things and then when a later time at a later date when the family isn't so close we ask ourselves well what happened you know folks sometimes we just need to look at each other in our family wherever we're at and we need to say are you going to stick with me all the way to the end are we going to be loyal to each other are we going to be loyal to through the thick and the thin. On uh, Friday night, I took my family and we went to uh, go see Elmo uh, down at the Marat Temple. And uh, this whole thing of loyalty was there. And, I, you know, I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be great. You know, we got the girls here and we're going to Elmo. And I'm like, all right, I want you to repeat after me. We are loyal to each other. Dead silence. <laughs> Nobody said anything. And so finally I'm like, Jordan. Repeat after me, we are loyal to each other. She said, Dad, I got my Happy Meal, you know, and we're eating in the car. And finally at the end, uh, my daughter, uh, the youngest one, who can't even talk, she just goes, wah! I'm like, all right, I'll take that, you know. But sometimes, folks, so you just like got to get the family together and say, you know what, I want us to all say together, we're loyal to each other, you know. And for us to really believe it, that we're all for one in this thing called family. Well, Boaz says to Ruth in this story, I see your loyal heart. I've seen you working in the fields. And I want you to know, I notice you. You are something special. And the true God of Israel is going to wrap you up under his wings. God is going to honor you. And I just want to say something right now to any of you women who are single or some of our young women, and it's this. Real men, not the jerks, okay, but real men still notice and they admire women of character and integrity and of loyalty. Now, some of you might be thinking, no, they don't. All they care about is the way that I look and, you know, do I have my Daisy Dukes on or my Hoochie Mama Hula and, you know, all that kind of stuff. The way I dress, the way I look, you know, whatever. But it's still true today. I'm talking about real men, loyal men. They still admire and they love to see women of character and integrity and loyalty. It's very attractive to real men. Well, back to our story. Ruth is out gleaning in this field, Boaz's field, and she's having uh, enough to eat. But then all of a sudden, in chapter 3, the plot thickens as good stories do, and things change. In Ruth chapter 3, it becomes pretty wild and crazy. In fact, there are many biblical scholars and pastors and churches that they just don't touch Ruth Because Ruth is complex, especially when you get to this chapter. We're not going to do that here at the Jock. We are going to dig in, and I'm going to tell you what what happens in this chapter. Naomi is the older woman. Ruth is the younger woman. Naomi realizes that she's getting older, and that Ruth is getting older, and she's not going to be able to glean from these fields her whole life. So Naomi starts thinking about the future. What are we going to do? And she looks to Ruth and she says, You know, Ruth, this is not working out. I mean, Ruth, you can't glean forever and I'm getting old. And Naomi is very worried about their situation. But then she remembers Boaz, this distant relative, and so Naomi becomes a matchmaker. Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match, you know. Fiddler on the Roof. Some of you are like, I have no idea why he just did that. It's kind of weird. (laughs) Fiddler on the Roof. Trying to get you cultured here at the Jara. So she thinks, hey, if I just get, you know, Ruth and Boaz together, man, we're going to have land. We're always going to have food. We're going to have family. I'll have some children. I mean, I'll have a son-in-law. Things will be happily ever after. So one night, Naomi learns that Boaz is going to have this big party at his threshing floor out in the country. So she says, tonight is the night. I mean, she said it long before the black-eyed peas did, okay? Tonight is the night. We're going for it. It's Hail Mary time. We're going for the end zone. And Naomi asks Ruth, are you in? And Ruth is like, I'm in. Now, look at what Naomi says to Ruth in this next text. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Naomi's kind of like, he's only seen you in your grummy gleaning clothes out in the fields all the time. And although looks aren't everything, you know, looks are important. A nice dress is just as nice as a nice attitude. So she says, Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes, then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know that you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. Never get between a guy and his dinner, right? If you're married, you already know that. Now, she's practical here. She's like, dress up, look good, but wait till he eats and drinks, you know, gets his belly full a little bit. And so, when he lies down Note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. Now this is what drives some pastors and uh, biblical scholars and churches crazy. Because what they don't understand is what is really happening in this story is Ruth is proposing to Boaz. In this particular culture, at this time, if a man was going to propose to to a woman, he would take his coat and he would take a corner of it and he would wrap it around her shoulder and in a way of him doing that, he would say, this is the woman that I love. Symbolically, he would be saying, I'm going to cover you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to provide for you. I love you. I am proposing to you. Will you be my wife? So Ruth, in the pitch black of night, is on this threshing floor and is basically saying, Boaz, if you will have me as your wife, I will say yes. So she throws the Hail Mary, and look at what Boaz says. He says, the Lord bless you. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. He's kind of like, I've noticed you out in the fields. And you could have had any pick that you wanted of any of these other guys, but you didn't hit on any of them. So don't be afraid. I will do what you ask. All my fellow townspeople know that you are a woman of noble character. Isn't that touching? And Ruth says, you might never have asked me. Because you think that I'm too young, because you're old, because I'm a Moabite and you're a Jew, that you just wouldn't ask me. But I'm just telling you that the answer is yes, if you propose to me. And Boaz is like, I never thought I could find someone this young. And he's like, yeah, I'm in, you know. And he says, but let's do this honorably. From the start, let's keep it clean and pure. And look at what it says in verse 14. So Ruth stayed near his feet until morning. No sexual involvement. He actually sends her home before dawn comes so that people aren't like, look at Boaz and uh, Ruth, they're shacking up together. He wants to protect her identity. So now the next morning, Ruth runs back to Bethlehem and she's on her way. And Naomi's been up all night. And she's like, oh man, maybe I gave her the wrong advice. Maybe I told her to do the wrong thing. So she says these very profound words. She says, how did it go? (laughs) Isn't that great? I love that about the Bible. I mean, it's like, you know, give me every detail. Go slow. It's like, We're the view, you know. Everybody, all the women, let's come together. Tell us your story, you know. And Ruth says, you're not going to believe it. It went great. I mean, we're getting married. And Naomi's like, oh, God. Only God could do something like this. I mean, this was the same woman, folks, that just a few years ago She was so disappointed, so discouraged, so overwhelmed. She was ready to change her name to bitter. And now all of a sudden she's like, oh, God. Only the kindness of a gracious God does this. Friends, God is always at work behind the scenes of your family. And we see this in the story of Ruth. And isn't it cool? I mean, it's so cool. Okay, you you ready for one last ounce of cool? And then we'll be done. Are you ready? You don't look very ready. Okay. So Ruth and Boaz, they have a son and they name him Obed. I will give a hundred bucks to any of you who are expecting children if you name your child Obed, okay? Girl or boy, I don't think it really matters. If you have the guts to do that, Obed, okay? Well, Obad he kind of gets over uh, you know the pain and torture of his name, and uh, finds someone to marry him, and they get married, and uh, they have a son, and his name they call him is Jesse. And some of you kind of know where this is going, don't you? Some of you don't. But Jesse then he grows up, he gets married to somebody, and uh, they have a son named David. The David, the giant killing David. The only guy in the whole Bible who is ever named a man after God's own heart. He is so important that God says, my one and only son, Jesus Christ, will come down your lineage. And, um, of course, we have to ask the question. So, this poor Moabite woman is in the lineage of Jesus Christ, God's only son? And the answer is yes. Folks, you can't count your family out. I don't care what you're going through right now. You can never count your family out. Because I really believe that if you would come to God, that eventually the doors would be open. God would start working behind the scenes. He'd start planting seeds of miracles in your life. And door after door would be opened. And something that was permanently unfixed could become fixed. I was just talking to a woman this week who shared with me last week. She felt so convicted. She went to her mom who she hadn't talked to for years. And this woman's like in her, you know, uh, 50s. hadn't talked to her mom in years. And she said, I made it right with her. And I made it right with my sister." All of a sudden, reconciliation can happen through prayer. Now, let me say this. It doesn't mean that it's always going to go perfectly. Everything's going to be hunky-dory. But I will take a family with God in it versus a family without God in it any day of the week. You know what I mean? You with me? Yeah. Now, this is the way we're going to end today. I'd like to pray kind of a prayer of commitment for all of our families. And so um, I'll ask you to stand up real quick. And what I want you to do is kind of repeat after me in full voice kind of that phrase uh, that we gave earlier. And it'll come up here uh, on the board. God is working... Behind the scenes, scenes. in my family, family. He never slumbers nor sleeps. He is working all things together for good, good. as we trust and follow Him. him. Now I'm going to pray and I'll invite uh, Patty Moore and Justin uh, Witt to come up. And if you want prayer for anything, you can. But um, after I pray, the band is going to close us in that song, Where You Go, I'll Go, because those words actually come straight out of Ruth. And as we sing it, though, we're not going to be singing it to our mother-in-law, although maybe some of you guys want to do that, okay? We're going to sing it to the God of the universe, the one who knew you before he ever created the world. And we're just going to say, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow you. Let's pray. Most high God, we uh, thank you so much that um, you have included us as a part of your family. We stand in awe today, realizing that if, if we have a relationship with you, we are your sons and your daughters. And God, that is such a tremendous gift. Now, for some folks, God, who are here today, I have no doubt that they've never really asked to be a part of your family. Or maybe they were at one time, and then they kind of got disconnected. But today could be the day, God, in which they could just say, God, I want to be a part of your family. And so if you would, just kind of pray this prayer after me. Silently to yourself. If if you're there, if you're like, I'm ready to be a part of his family, or, you know, I'm ready to reconnect. God, I want to be with you. I want you to be unboxed in my life. I want you to have complete control. Thank you for the free gift of of your son, Jesus. I ask for the forgiveness of my sins that I know of. And I receive your Holy Spirit. I commit my life to you. And for everyone who's here who's a Christ follower today, that we make a recommitment to him And to the families that we are a part of. That God, we want to go your way. We want to be your people. And now God, all of us silently kind of pray for those members in our family who we know are going through some tough stuff, maybe of their own choice. And we have faith that some of our family who are far from you would come closer to you. God, we commit today to never giving up on our family. And I thank you today for each of the families that are here. So now, God, the unboxed God, who we can't keep on a box, that where you go, God, we will go. Where you stay, we'll stay. When you move, we'll move. God, we want to follow you. And it's in your name that we pray.